turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. George Brockler back with you here. Final hour of the George Show on this Thursday, January the 11th. Uh, you're listening to 710 KNUS. Doug Lamborn, uh, just about a week ago, this past Friday at about 9.30 a.m., went on to a radio show down south there to announce that he was not going to seek re-election. And that has started a bit of a firestorm with folks considering jumping in, jumping in. A lot of big names come from El Paso County in the Republican world. Um, one of them is joining us as a VIP right now. I've had the opportunity to work with Senator Gardner on a bunch of different things in and outside the Capitol. Joining us right now, Senator Bob Gardner. Sir, thanks for taking time out of your morning to talk with us. Uh, Billy? Uh, Senator Bob Gardner, are you there? Uh, yeah. Hello, yeah. Bob. Oh, there it is. Oh, shoot, good grief. I'm sure it was buttons on our end. Sir, how are you doing? Uh, good. Can you hear me now? I-, I can hear you now. If you're on a speaker or a Bluetooth, it's always going to sound better when you talk right into can the you, answer call can you cell phone. Can you hear me now? Oh, my God, that's so much better. So much better. So much oh, okay. Better. All right. All right. Sorry. Sorry about that. The technology is great no. when it works. <laughs> no worries. Hey, I know that you're gearing up to go sit down and listen to the State of the State address here at 11 a.m., so thanks for taking time out of your morning to talk to us about this. Look, folks probably know your name from all the public service that you've done, but do listeners a favor and recap. Give us a little bit about your background. How did you get to this place where you're at today? Well, uh, that, w- that would take a ser- several hours, but uh, uh, I'm, an Air Force, I'm an Air Force Academy graduate. That's how I came to Colorado. Um, I went away during my active duty service, came back, uh, taught at the academy, taught law at the academy, um, was a, a ICBM missile launch officer in the Strategic Air Command early in my career and uh, became a, a JAG, just as you, you did in the Army. Um but- Went into private practice, wanted to do politics. I was uh, the El Paso County Republican chair, um, practiced law actively, still do. Um, and one day had a chance to run for public office. And did so, served eight years on the House. I'm in my second term in the Senate. Um, thought, uh, because I'm term limited, that I would not be uh, seeking further office. After all, it's going to be 10 more years before I'm old enough to be president, apparently. Um, but <laughs> but uh, um, uh, when Congressman Lamborn announced his retirement, I, I realized that this is an opportunity to continue to make a difference and uh, to represent the people of the 5th Congressional District in a way that uh, I really think they deserve. So that's the very quick and dirty. Um, first off, as uh, some folks may not know this, but to be in the JAG Corps, you have to be particularly good-looking. It's the only branch that has that as a requirement, so congratulations. Uh, but why the Air Force? Why not the <laughs> Army? What happened there? Uh, you know, uh, the, the honest answer to that is, George, I, I, I was going to be a fighter pilot. I 
I'd be a fighter pilot today if I could do anything else in the world. But uh, my eyes uh, kind of went bad on me while I was studying so hard at the academy. And so I, I went off and did other things. Uh, but uh, I nearly cross-commissioned in the Army. I thought about that. You were so close to being right. But nonetheless, we won't dwell on the past. Um, you have been a conservative champion there under the Gold Dome. You've also been a, a real, for, personally and professionally as the district attorney, you have been a real source of some guidance and leadership there at a time when we don't control things. And so when the left is out there trying to undermine and dismantle our criminal justice system, you've really been a champion in trying to hold things together. And even if we couldn't progress forward in a way that mattered, you really kept the wheels from coming off the bus, or at least so far. So thank you for that. Thank you, George. And, and thanks for being there to, to support those efforts. Um, your family obviously was looking at the calendar and thought, this is it. You know, we're going to get Bob back. And uh, then, as you've pointed out, you had this opportunity to continue to serve how many curse words did they use when you floated the idea of running for CD5? Um, well, they, did, they didn't use any, any curse words, but they said, are, are you in, in all of this public service, uh, Dad, um, have, you, have you lost what little sanity you had left? And uh, I said, probably, uh, but I, I think I have things to do. And they, they said, yeah, and we're all in if that's, if that's what you want to do. We're ready to continue on with you. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a heck of a sacrifice, as you know, uh, yourself, public, public service, whether it's in uniform as we, as we both did, or whether it is an elective office, it's a sacrifice and it's a sacrifice on the part of, uh, the family more than, than the member sometimes. This is a seat that um, Doug held for, what, 17, 18 years, if my math is right. It's one of those seats, as you know, when you get this thing, you can serve until you don't want to serve anymore. Do you have some sense, and I ask it in this context, and I should have asked Jeff Crank this too. Some folks uh, out there have said, I'm going to self-impose term limits on myself. I'm going to say I'm going to serve three terms and then not. Have you ever thought about how long you would serve once elected? Uh, yes, and I, I announced that uh, if uh, elected, I will self-impose term limits of uh, four two-year terms. I I believe that um, elected office, public office is um, public service and that one ought not to be a, a professional uh, politician or office holder. Um, I have had long public service, but I have practiced law all along the way and continue to do so. And whatever happens, uh, short of uh, being elected to Congress, which won't allow the time, I I will practice law as long as I can because I enjoy helping uh, people in small businesses uh, resist and uh, government regulation, uh, try to help them navigate that system. Uh, and that's where my practice is focused. Um, when you look at the field as it is right now, and I'm, I'm still a Reagan guy. I don't like the idea of having to, uh, trash talk other Republicans. And I would never ask you to do that, Bob, cause you're not that guy. But when you look at the field and you think, look, these are the things I bring that other candidates just don't bring to the table. What would those be? Uh, that, that would be uh, a decade and a half of, uh, the kinds of effective service that you talked about earlier, 
uh, of standing for conservative principles, standing for public safety being a, a top concern for jobs and the creation of jobs, standing for parents and doing all of that, uh, but doing it effectively and, and getting things done, um, keeping bad things from happening and and actually making quite a few good things happen along the way when we can find across the aisle agreement about that. So that's what I bring to the aisle uh, or bring to the, the race. Um, I also bring all of those years of, of experience as a uh, an attorney, a conservative attorney, though, uh, and as uh, I think some of your uh, taglines and all say about what 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 the bad jobs are, uh, I think being uh, the advocate for people uh, to pursue their rights, whether they're the uh, the right to life or the the right to keep and bear arms or the right to be free from governmental intrusion and defending those rights is uh, one of the highest callings one can have. And, and it's been my privilege to do that over the years. If you're if you get elected, you get sworn in, it's less than a year from now. Um, what's that day one agenda that you have? What are the things you're like, this is what I want to accomplish in these in these early days? Well, I like like so many others, but but I think uh, it, it takes all of us. Uh, I want to jump right on board of security. Um, and, uh, there are solutions there. We, um, we need to get the ones done that we can get done. You know, there, there's been a failure on the part of Congress, both sides of the aisle to deal with that problem. Whenever you have a, a democratic governor in Arizona begging the federal government to do something about the problem, you know there's a failure on the part of the uh, Congress and the administration. And so we need to take that on. Um, the budget and the economy, we need to take that on. Um, but we need to do so in a thoughtful way. And that's a lot harder work than just voting no or having a breakdown and and putting at risk, <coughs> excuse me, putting at risk the paychecks of our men and women in uniform or the 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 checks for social security recipients and disabled veterans. Uh, those are the things I'm going to tackle. Uh, Colorado Springs and El Paso County is uh, um, top in the list of aerospace and defense and military installations. Uh, because of my background, I'm going to be a champion for all of those things. Uh, I, I I will in the the time that I've allotted to be there those eight years, work hard, uh, hopefully on the Armed Services Committee uh, to make a difference for our men and women in uniform and for our veterans. We're talking with Bob Gardner. He is a, a senator from El Paso County who has thrown his hat in the ring for CD5. Um, senator Gardner, I want to ask you a little bit about the race itself because uh, we heard earlier this week, and we've had him on the show, State GOP Chair Dave Williams has announced that he is also running for CD5, but is going to remain as chair of the the Republican Party. Thoughts on that? Um, well, as you said, I, I don't want to um, speak ill of others in the race. I, I just would say that as a former county chairman, uh, as a former general counsel to the state Republican Party, it was absolutely unimaginable to me, unthinkable that someone could maintain uh, their job as a party chairman and be engaged in a contested primary. Um, 
basically what that means is that the state party chairman controls all the levers of, of one path to get on the ballot. And uh, George, I've been an international election observer of uh, all the things I've been privileged to do and to be in former Soviet bloc countries uh, trying to ensure free and fair elections. You know, our party is the party of free and fair elections uh, and not using the levers of power to ensure uh, that we stay in power. Uh, so I, I really encourage the, the primary voters uh, both registered Republicans and the unaffiliated who uh, are inclined to our our views and, and really would like to be part of a, of a functioning party, uh, take a look at that. And when you make the choice, uh, choose someone who chooses ethics and free and fair elections uh, over and above maintaining their power. Um, another question along those lines, but again, more about the party itself. You know that some of what's gone on in the party has been an effort to allow party leadership to weigh in on races in primaries. Now, you've been a county party chair. I've never been a county party chair, but I've been involved in grassroots Republican politics since I was 18 years old. I've never seen anything like that. Thoughts on that? Well, uh, again, uh, as a former county party chair and a longtime uh, party uh, activist, it's unimaginable to me where where we are that that anyone would be suggesting that we endorse this candidate or that candidate. Um, I remember over the years when we didn't do that and we we tried to be as scrupulous as we could to not show any favoritism of one over the other. Um, I remember accusations uh, about where people got a table um, at the county assembly or whether they did or didn't get a table at the county assembly. Um, the the party um, stalwarts and activists were so uh, aggressive about that that you just wouldn't have, have thought to do that. So, again, I, I encourage the primary voters to take a look at who wants to run a free and fair election and who wants to control the levers of power to the exclusion of all of those voters. Senator Gardner, I want to convert you, if I can, to um, a different kind of an interview, if only because you're right there in the gold dome fighting in the trenches as we speak. Yesterday was the kickoff for the General Assembly from the Senate side of things. And we had Rose Puglisi, also from El Paso County, on uh, in the last hour. What's coming for us? What do you see out there? What's your sense of this coming session? Well, um, I, I think we're going to have more of the same of what we saw last session. Um, we're we're going to have uh, big fights over uh, housing, uh, housing affordability. Uh, Republicans believe, and I, I would like to think that we can get enough Democrats to to agree with us that one of the big problems in housing affordability in Colorado today is the lack of a construction defects law that. Um, is is functioning and workable, one that doesn't favor trial lawyers and uh, really putting developers out of business. Uh, you, you can't build uh, uh, starter homes today uh, in, in an economic manner uh, because of the insurance premium costs and the fact that you can't get any insurance. We've said that over and over again. We're, we're working on that. We're going to try to continue to work on that. Um, we're 
we're going to continue to fight to preserve Tabor. We've, we've got to do something about property tax relief. And uh, I expect there will be many assaults on um, public safety and law and order. But some of that is not as intense as it was uh, probably two years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, we're going to continue to to do good things there. Fentanyl is a crisis. We all know it's a crisis. We we need to make it a crime, uh, and in every situation, when when you pass fentanyl to someone else and they die, there's got to be accountability for that. Uh, you know, there's another bill for safe injection sites, and I'm oh my god, uh, I, I I shook my head this morning. I thought, how many times do we have to? kill that how many times do we have to turn that away that um we all have compassion i hope we do for those who are addicted to drugs but giving them one more place and an opportunity to 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 shoot up frankly and to get drugs is not what's going to help them and it's that's a tough love kind of a situation and uh enabling the conduct is not not the way to deal with it you know there's two distinct views of the world. Now, not everybody falls clearly in one camp or the other, but um, you, you, we talk about those distinct views. I won't go into that. That's probably an hour discussion, but <laughs> there are those of us that are about uh, about both personal rights and personal responsibilities, and there are those who believe that government can somehow solve the problems and that we uh, can uh, do things so that people avoid the consequences of their actions altogether. Uh, we need to give a helping hand. We don't need to enable um, addictions and bad conduct and, and crime and so forth. So, Senator um, Gurney, do, do you have a sense of, of where we're going with uh, guns and abortion? It feels like abortion is now this new shiny thing that the Democrats want to roll out every election cycle because they think it gets them votes, and it probably does with some. Have you heard anything on those fronts like enshrining our abortion law in the Constitution or more an AR gun ban or something like that? Uh, I, yeah, I I think there may well be uh, an attempt to enshrine um, abortion rights in the Constitution. And, and it highlights something that's really important, George. In the state Senate today, uh, there are 12 Republicans, and that deprives the— uh, uh, Democrat majority of a two-thirds vote. Uh, they have a clear two-thirds vote in the House, and that allows them to refer things to the Constitution. So we're going to, uh, I believe all all Republicans are going to stick together on that and deny them the opportunity to get that on the ballot. And maybe um, the politics of an election year will keep that from coming forward. Um, I, I saw a bill um, and I haven't had a chance to study it. I mean, they all got dropped yesterday, a bill on uh, dealing with uh, firearms uh, violence um, and and crimes. And, and there may be something we can do there. I'm not saying that, Bill, because, again, uh, I believe in reading them before you vote on them. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi yeah. told us that's not how it works. <laughs> well, and, and that's one of the things I want to ensure happens to when, I, when I go to Congress as well. But um, I, I did see that that maybe at least the packaging, the, the messaging on the bill was it was to deal with with penalties uh, for those who misuse firearms. You and I both know that oh, yeah. when 
when you impose penalties for those who possess firearms who uh, have a prior felony um, and you, you do serious penalties, uh, you cut the numbers of firearms uh, casualties in our society. That's right. That's uh, right. The, only, the only thing, and I've said this very publicly uh, uh, at, in the well, the only thing that the Clinton administration sort of got right was the emphasis on uh, putting people in prison who possess firearms with a prior felony or engage in firearm violence. And, and you know, it kind of filled the federal prisons, but uh, it was effective and it was strong. And we need to do that here. You wrote about this, uh, uh, about the, the, the attorney general wanting to uh, provide state prosecutors instead of doing it themselves, as I recall. Um, and, I was going to ask that... you about that, too. Are, are, are you in a position, and I don't think you're on the JBC, I know Barb is, but are you in a position to ask the attorney general's office, hang on, you championed allowing a whole bunch of convicted felons to end up possessing firearms. Why are you now coming back to us to ask for taxpayer money to fund prosecutors to go do it at the federal level? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, because I serve on judiciary and I serve on appropriations. Um, and um, I, we'll be asking that question uh, and doing it as publicly as we're able to do, because that is uh, what you, you wrote in your article that I read a week or so ago is exactly right. It's like you know what the you know what the solution, or at least a a, a way to address this problem is, uh, General Weiser. But you're not willing to do it yourself. You you want the feds to do it, or you want to give them resources to do it. Um, it we need to do it at the state level, um, and, and you know the U.S. Attorney needs to do so as well. But uh, wow, when I I, I appreciate. Uh, uh, the work you do so much, George, because that called that issue to my attention. And I said, you know, I got to ask the attorney general about that uh, when, when the session comes. I, I literally uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up or whichever one of us did. I I saw that and I said, wow, that's got to be addressed when when we start having hearings. It's the weirdness, though, of having a single party dominance government is they can run amok and do whatever they want to do and it's only in the rear view mirror do they look back and go maybe that was an awesome policy <laughs> and then they try to get someone else yeah. to clean it up they had to come back and try to fix the fentanyl bill that they screwed up they tried to come back and fix the possession of weapons by a previous offender bill they got still got it wrong and now it's like let's try to help out another agency that'll do what we don't have the political will to do it's cuckoo well it, it is and you know i I uh, I called the attorney general to task uh, a couple of years ago about about the fentanyl bill because he came in and in full support of of criminalizing um, fentanyl deaths and and so forth and I said wait a minute where were you uh, in 2019 when this bill came uh, came forward right. and those those of us were were fighting and fighting about it where where were you. Um, you know, silent. and uh, again, silent. yeah, silent, uh, crickets. Um, uh, and you know, I, uh, I, I think the attorney general's, a uh, an ethical and intelligent guy, uh, but he doesn't have the political will to tell his party. We can't do that. I, I think, I think this, 
idea of handing money and resources to the federal government to to do the job with respect to firearms possession by by felons and and others who who are rightly uh, prohibited from having firearms i think i think that's because of not being able to stand up as a leader someone who has indicated he wants to run for governor who, who hasn't been willing to stand up and say and this is what we have to do uh, whether we're Republicans or whether we're Democrats, we have to have a safe society. We have to have safe neighborhoods. Well, and more than that, Bob, too, it's if you have a governor that signed that thing into law, you've had an AG that's championed allowing drug dealers and uh, car thieves to continue to possess firearms. If they truly believe that is what is good policy for Colorado and that's what Coloradans support, then it seems completely hypocritical to now go to the feds and say, we'd like to help you do what we think is wrong for Colorado. I mean, it's craziness that they would go f- come forward and say, we championed policy that we think speaks to Colorado, but now we want the feds to come in. Where else do they do this? I mean, if you'll re- you were there, Bob, they passed laws that say that uh, sheriff in Teller County can't cooperate with ICE because we're not in the business of helping to support and, and defend uh, federal law. We're just supposed to be pushing state law. And then they turn around on this gun issue and go, well, we're going to help the feds do what we don't think is right here in Colorado. It's, it's, it's craziness. Well, um, maybe it's not. Well, it, it's craziness on its face. But what it is is political expedience of uh, recognizing that they can't stand up to their own constituencies and say, look, there are bad people. Uh, and the, the, the toughest and most socioeconomically challenged neighborhoods are where most crime occurs. And those are the people who are crying out uh, for safe neighborhoods, uh, all of us to, to some extent, but, but there in particular. And Democrats are unwilling uh, to say that if we do that, that means that we're going to arrest some people, take them off the street, uh, they're going to be incarcerated, and your neighborhood is going to be safer. Uh, <laughs> it, and they just, it's, it's, it's not craziness in the sense, I mean, I, I understand why you say so, and I, I say that to myself every day as well, but as I think about it, it's, it's just because they are unwilling to speak the truth. I think that that's absolutely right. I'm glad that you are willing to, and we'd love to have you back on to have conversations, not just about the race, but about what's going on under the Gold Dome. 119 days to really continue to derail the state of Colorado. I hope that you're able to stop it. Well, we're going we're gonna to throw ourselves in front of the train as we have uh, for uh, all the years that I've been here and continue to do so, and hope, uh, hope we can do that, uh, not only throw ourselves in front of the train, but um, start a train uh, somewhere to, to do something that's right for Colorado and ask them uh, across the aisle to get on board. So appreciate it. Always glad to, to come and, and talk with you. Enjoy it uh, immensely. Thank you. Do, do you have a website, Bob, yet for the CD5 thing? Oh, oh heavens. Uh, uh, a, a week ago at this time, uh, I thought that I was a term-limited state senator and right. was going to be practicing lawful time we're we, we got our team together this week and we will have a website very soon but uh, that's how quickly when, when, this when you come back on and come back on and we'll have you talk about it senator bob gardner thanks good luck at the state of the state today we'll have you on again in the future oh thanks george always enjoy it
Bye-bye. See you, sir. Um, the thing, the, the most truthful thing that was said there was that uh, Jags are the best-looking. I'm kidding. Uh, that fascinating conversation. I love the back end of it as well, including the talk about what's going on in the legislature. Hey, listen, we're going to get to your calls and your texts. Give us a call. What are you hearing there? 303-696-1971. Lots covered by Senator Gardner. Before we cut away, I want to tell you about Brent and Joyce Tolliver. They do the uh, the stuff inside your house that you really like. If, if your neighbors walked into your house after Brent and Joyce Tolliver make it super awesome on the inside with the roll them out shells, they can't see it. They can't feel it. But you can, right? Like this isn't the kind of facelift thing where you're getting the cabinets done or the countertops. It's not that thing. This is internal workings. This is improving the efficiency and enjoyability of your home because now everything is within arm's reach. You can just roll it out. They've been doing this thing for years. I love the small business entrepreneurial thing. Problem is they've been so successful, the business keeps getting bigger and bigger, and they keep adding on employees, not subcontractors, employees to come in and do this great work. Do me a favor. Go to RollEmOutShelves.com. Roll them out shelves, EM for M, roll them out shelves.com and look at the videos of what they do. It gives you an idea of how they make your cabinets better and more useful. And it's such a reasonable price under like a thousand bucks for most of these things. I mean, fantastic stuff. You're going to say that's the best bang for my buck. I put in my house in a long time. 303-475-9601. Roll them out shelves.com. When we come back, your text, your calls, George Brockler, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710 KNUS. My thanks to State Senator Bob Gardner uh, for taking so much time out of a legislative morning, especially one that's going to have uh, Governor Polis gobbling up some time at the 11 a.m. hour to give the state of the state address. We'll hopefully talk with some legislators tomorrow. We're trying to arrange that right now to give feedback on that and to continue to let us know what's developing Always scary stuff uh, when the Dems are in charge of the General Assembly. Scarier still when they have near super majorities in each house. The state Senate seems like it's the last best place to keep them from doing a whole bunch of craziness. But we'll see. And then, you know, when we had uh, Assistant Minority Leader Rose Puglisi on from the House in the uh, 8 o'clock hour, you know, she had said something a little scary, too, which is normally you would expect during an election year that that would moderate or temper the other side from doing things that are nutty. She said, I see no evidence of that at all. It seems like this is going to be more of the same, maybe even worse. That's telling a little bit scary. That is that is very, very interesting that we are in times like that where and I think in part it's because we don't have any statewide races that matter. I know we're wringing our hands over the idea of the state party coming out and endorsing Donald Trump before we actually cast a single vote, which just doesn't feel like America to me. It doesn't feel like the Republican Party to me. But having said that, uh, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter who the Republicans nominate. No Republican presidential candidate in 2024 is going to win the state of Colorado. I mean, the biggest fight, in my opinion, on that on that realm is is uh, whether or not we get to have whoever we want on the ballot uh, free of interference by Jenna Griswold or some uh, appellate court, and that includes the Colorado Supreme Court. That part matters to me, and that's not a Trump thing. That, to me, is a don't-be-telling-us-our-business thing on something that is just such a gray area, but we've talked about that before. Listen, we've had a bunch of texts that have come in here. I'm I'm interested to uh, 
hear your thoughts on the interviews we've done today, as well as this thing with Nikki Haley and whether or not Chris Christie leaving the race means she could win New Hampshire. And if she does, does it matter? Here's a texter. If Trump loses New Hampshire, it says New Hampshire. And what I can't tell is if there's two NHs here. If Trump loses New Hampshire, NH does not represent the country. I wonder if that's Nikki Haley or New Hampshire does not represent the country. One light state out of 50. Yeah, but it's an indication, right? Like, I mean, if this guy is the the anointed one, the preordained, we don't even need to go through the, the trouble of putting him on ballots anywhere. Losing a state is an indication. It's the same thing I asked Joan back in the, I think, the 7 o'clock hour. When he wins Iowa, and he for sure will win Iowa. He will for sure win Iowa by double digits. If Trump gets less than 50% of the vote, and he could get over 50, but if he gets less than 50% of the vote, if more than 50% of Republicans say we'd like somebody else, does that mean anything? Does, is it a crack? Is it an, oper- an opportunity, an opening? Is there, and, and again, we have been approaching this entire primary with sort of this weird rubbernecking, the, the debates that take place between people that are arguably irrelevant at the moment, and trying not to get to a point, in my opinion, where we just say, hey, let's have round two of, of 2020. I, I wasn't excited by that election to begin with, and I'm certainly horrified by the outcome. But the idea that we're going to have two guys who are, you know, a lot closer to the end than the beginning, if you know what I mean, uh, as our candidates, I just thought we would have a different primary. But but we haven't so far. Here's another I watched last night and Trump, too. Based on long, long strategy, I see Trump getting Christie as VP. What? Oh, my dear God. It would help to lock in the votes of people that sit in between. And Christie has a voice that people will believe, and he will challenge Trump for the better. Crazy, right? Question mark? Yes. And by crazy, I mean crack smoke crazy. There's no chance Trump would tap Chris Christie, a guy who has been throwing haymakers at him on issues of character, morality, fitness for office for vice president. But more than that, Chris Christie wouldn't accept that. No matter what ego Chris Christie has, and the dude was a U.S. attorney, he was a prosecutor. I imagine there's ego in there somewhere as a trial attorney. Um, dude, dude is not going to ever accept that that would blow him up with his family let alone his friends and supporters i mean this guy gave a speech yesterday that i think was trying to tap in some ways uh you know the end of a tale of two cities dickens great work that ends with it is a far better thing that i do than i have ever done it is a far better rest that i go to than i have ever known Uh, that was tainted a little bit by his off mic comments or what he thought were off mic comments about haley and desantis but this is a guy who basically said, I fought the good fight. I've done as much as I can do. It's time for me to move on. But please, for the love of God, let's not have Donald Trump as president. That guy could never be Trump's running mate. I just don't see that. Here's another text. DeSantis won't endorse Trump. His only option is Haley, unless he doesn't endorse anyone. That's very interesting, too. Um, could he come out and endorse Haley? Because instantly the questions would be, what about this? You said she's owned by corporate interests. You said this and that. Why would you support someone who's owned by corporate interests? Why would you support someone? That's just a tough conversation to have. Not impossible, like I said, Bush with the voodoo economics and stuff with Reagan. They figured out a way to make sweet love for eight years. But um, it would be hard. 
it would be hard, and I just wonder what difference it would make. You know, we had a caller earlier, Ron, um, who talked about how disloyal DeSantis and Haley were for choosing to run against him. I'm just not sure how running against someone is an act of disloyalty unless they were your vice president. And I'm not saying Pence was disloyal. I'm saying as your vice president ran against you. Nobody owes anybody anything in the political game. But the question was, Trump, what's his definition of loyalty? Who has he been loyal to? The minute anybody poses a threat to this guy, he burns them to the ground. It's just very, very interesting. Um, Here is given how they created a law. Okay, this was going back to, this is a text we got, going back to the conversation we had with Ron about Clinton and Trump and the disparity in treatment by folks who are Trump people when it comes to Clinton. With Clinton, it's just a known fact. Dude raped women. He just raped women. It's a known fact. Doesn't matter if he ever has a day in court. We all know it. And then there's Trump, who's had a day in court, several of them, in fact, in a civil setting, agreed it was a civil setting, where he was found liable for some type of sexual assault. That's not a conviction. That's not beyond a reasonable doubt. Don't mishear me. But that's something more than Clinton had. How is it we can be so certain that Clinton did this, but we're so certain that Trump didn't? Or as Ron said, like, well, well, we don't know. How can we not know? There's more out there that was in front of a jury that his team helped pick than there was for Clinton. How is it that we're so certain? The only answer is this cult of personalities commitment to a guy who we just see as the savior for for America. There's nobody else you would do this for. You would never make those kinds of excuses for a Ron DeSantis or a Vivek Ramaswamy or a Chris. You would never make those excuses for them. You would only make those excuses for DJT. And I know for some, and I've, I've seen this in text, greatest president of my lifetime. No, thank you. Not even close, man. That's He did great things as president compared to what we have right now, but greatest president of my lifetime? I don't think so. I don't think the guy puts a glove on Ronald Reagan. That's just me, though. Um, I, I don't know, man. I guess everybody makes promises that they don't keep. I've just never seen anybody get off the hook this way. Now, one of the... Uh, Okay, now somebody just texted in. George, I think Clinton paid $750,000 settlement to Paula Jones. That's pretty convincing. Okay, so if a, and I don't know that that's true, but I'm just going to presume it's true. So if the dude scratches a check for a settlement to Paula Jones, that's proof. But if a jury comes back and finds this guy liable for conduct after he's had the opportunity to contest the evidence against him, that, eh, hard to say. Hard to say what's happened. Hey, George, pardon me. Got a question. Um, if, if we're looking question at, from a caller? Yeah, or a no, no, from, from me. Uh, if we're oh, looking yeah. at settlements being proof, if in the Clinton case that it is proof of things he did with Paula Jones when he cut the check, then is it time to talk about the check Fox News cut about election fraud? Because if they could have proven the check. I mean, again, I, I don't, we don't, we don't no, need to go down that. what you're saying. But, but that's the issue, saying. is that when someone texts in and says, well, a payment is proof of bad behavior. Well, payment in the Fox case, is that proof of their bad behavior and their lies? It's an interesting question, but I I like your premise on the Clinton and Trump example because the issue is that how come they are not viewed as being equal? We're not saying 
that Bill Clinton isn't a dirty rat, no, and I no, can't say the rest horrible, of the word here. Yes, horrible. Yeah. But how come when someone does go through the court process, does that not, in other people's minds, equate? How come being found liable of this behavior? I don't know. We, isn't we proof? have we've set fire to the criminal justice and civil justice systems because we disagree with the outcomes. And in this thing that we'll talk about, I think tomorrow, Billy, this this interesting developing story about Fonnie Willis and the accusations by one of Trump's co-defendants that she paid a whole bunch of money to this guy, like 650 gur since November of 2021 for for work as a prosecutor and some other stuff. We're going to get to talk about all that stuff tomorrow. But again, it, this is where we've gone, and it's only because of this guy. We don't do this for anybody else. We have set fire to an underlying an institution that underlies our commitment to the Constitution and the rule of law because we simply don't like the outcome. We refuse to believe that this guy could be guilty of anything. I mean, and Ron was a great caller in a lot of ways. One was... You heard that 18-minute gap of silence. I made that up. It wasn't 18 minutes. When I said, listen, if true justice comes from the court system, if Trump is convicted down at at the Mar-a-Lago case for the documents, is that true justice? Long pause. That's a hard one. That's a tough one. Because if he's found guilty, and I think that's the case he's most likely to be convicted of, what do we say? Well, then the fix was in. He should have never been prosecuted. It wasn't a crime. That's what's happening. It sounds like, and I need to do more research with the Fonnie Willis thing. Like, well, she has a relationship with the special prosecutor. Therefore, the underlying facts are fake. What? Therefore, Trump should have never been prosecuted, because if she wasn't sleeping with the special prosecutor, those facts wouldn't exist. I I don't know. I mean, I I still think there's political motivation there for these things, and that's the most damning thing. But let's not get caught up in the idea that political motivation for prosecution or some other uh, relationship that shouldn't exist, that doesn't make the facts go away. Those are the things we got to contend with. And I just don't know what the right answer is here yet, but uh, I think it's problematic that each of these prosecutors on the local side that are prosecuting Trump have taken public positions against Trump and getting him, in essence, during their campaigns. Uh, that makes me question the prosecution, right? But I still want to know what the facts are. Hey, listen, we're going to cut away for a break. I want to tell you first before about uh, Mitch Floria at the Art of Granite. Mitch Floria, uh, I can't say enough great things about him. I think we're getting Mitch back in the studio here in the near term to talk about his super backstory because this dude is straight up American, not even born here, but came here legally, uh, had the DNA running through him, the American DNA from the word go, left communist-controlled Romania. He gets it. He understands freedom, capitalism, and customer service like nobody else out there. He's the only place to call when you're looking at replacing the countertops in your kitchen, bathroom, laundry room, maybe that finished basement. 303-386-5919. Not just, not just any number. That's his number for his cell phone. 303 386 5919. You can check out the great stuff he does at theartofgranite.com. All four words, theartofgranite.com. When we come back, remaining text, remaining thoughts, and any calls at 303-696-1971. It's George Brockler, 710-KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710-KNUS. Final uh, moments of the show. The music's going to kick kick on here in a few seconds it always seems to fly by largely because of you guys with the phone calls and the texts 
driving the conversation. Uh, today was no different. I think tomorrow's going to be the same. There's so much to talk about with tomorrow. We're going to get into this Fonnie Willis stuff. We're also going to look at, there's a, a clip I hadn't seen yet from, I believe it was uh, the Boston mayor inviting people to invite migrants into their homes to try to deal with this catastrophe that's developing. I wonder if that's coming for Denver. I wonder if Mike Johnson's going to be giving that speech to us soon. Hey, stick around for tomorrow, 6 to 10, George Brocker, 710 KNUS.